Welcome to the Clear to Close podcast with our hosts, local mortgage expert Ryan Bolton and Carson Jones, owner of Team Honey with Red Rock Real Estate. Ryan and Carson have the questions and answers, tips and tricks, do's and don'ts, and expert guests to help explain all the steps needed to buy or sell real estate. And now it's time for the Clear to Close podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Clear to Close podcast. Today, we are talking about how to become a mortgage lender uh, or a loan officer, a few different names for it. Right. Uh, and so, of course, we brought Ryan Bolton, our local mortgage expert with us from Patriot. Uh, Patriot Mortgage? Patriot yep, Home Patriot, Loans? Patriot Home Mortgage. Yeah, Thank that's you. the official name. Yep. Okay. So uh, we're going to kind of just talk about what the step-by-step process is to become a lender. I think it's it's one of those subjects that a lot of people wonder, oh, what? how do I get paid if I'm a lender? How do I uh, how do I become a lender? What's the schooling like? And we'll do the same thing eventually for how, how to become a real estate agent, of course. So, so maybe kind of take us on a little bit of a journey of what it takes for, say, your ordinary person on your normal nine to five sure. job to kind of turn that into a, uh, to be in uh, a home lender like yourself. Sure. So I've been doing this since 1999. And for the longest time, there was not even licensing requirements. I mean, it was basically pretty wild, wild west. You just basically showed up and you were a mortgage person, whether it was for a bank or credit union or independently, what we normally call mortgage broker. Then of course, 2008 happened. And even a little bit before that, you started seeing states starting to regulate because they saw a lot of mortgage fraud that was going up. So Utah was really ahead of the curve when it came to getting licensing and stuff like that. But then oh, wait, it happens. And one of the big blames was all the mortgage brokers offering all these subprime loans, and all these bad loans, getting paid different ways, and not having any kind of a streamlined forms or disclosures or waiting periods or any of this stuff that was really built in. So they came up with a system to get licensed, to actually get a license. So I brought some slides today, so let's jump to slide number one. And this kind of breaks down what we're going to be talking today and how do you actually become a loan officer. So these are some of the things we want to talk about. Uh, let's jump to slide two real quick. So the first thing is you have to meet some basic eligibility requirements. You have to be 18, so that's one thing that's probably pretty standard as far as an eligibility. You have to have a GED or equivalent. I've had so many people ask me, do you have to get a business degree, a manager, a bachelor's, a doctorate? I mean, yeah. a, I mean, if you had to get anything more than a GED, I think a lot of loan officers would not be hired right now. But hey, that's a whole other story. Same and then the next big one is the background check. So before, there wasn't any of these background checks at all. There wasn't any way to be able to, to know if you committed fraud or robbed a bank in New York and moved out west, and now all of a sudden you're offering mortgage loans. So part of that licensing is to make sure that you couldn't just jump state to state and get into the mortgage business. So right. there's now a background check that checks to see if you have felonies or see if you've done anything that would be mishandling of information or people's identity, things like that. So that was a really big step to make sure that you weren't just, like I said, doing business east of the Mississippi and then jumping west and doing yeah. mortgage loans and taking advantage of people. Is it something where w when you get started, is it a long process to say you passed any of the the education requirements, and is it a long process to actually get licensed from then, or, or is it a pretty quick process to say, okay, I'm done with my school testing, now let me start selling some Yeah, apps. so that's on the next slide. So let's jump to the next slide of kind of what it takes. So if you're able to pass, if you're 18, you do have a GED or better, you, um, let's talk a little bit more about that SAFE Act. So in 2008, we had the whole housing crisis. So what happened from that was this SAFE Act, which the government and mortgage industry is great at acronyms. So SAFE is the Secure and Fair Enforcement for Lo Mortgage Licensing Act of 2008. This kicked in in 2011. 
So this is what started to standardize what the national requirement was to be a loan officer. So um, this also created the NMLS system. So if you see any advertisements out there or talk to any loan officer, you'll always see that little number that's followed by mm. a number. That's what this act did is it created the system to say, okay, now you have this number that travels with you no matter where you are, whether you're in Utah, Nevada, New York, California, wherever you are, that number follows you and anything you do wrong follows you with that number. So again, you can't commit loan fraud in one state and just move to another, get a new number and you're right. back in business kind of thing. Then there's pre-licensing education that's required. Um, what this is, the SAFE Act required that you have at least 20 hours of federal education, then the states can add their hours on top of that as well. So every state's a little bit different. The two toughest is Utah and Nevada. They require the most above the standard 20 hours, where I think Alaska, Hawaii, a couple of those states only require kind of the minimum. And, and is and that all done online or? It can be, yeah. Okay. You can do it online, you can do it live. There's a couple of ways to accomplish that, but all of that's doing is getting you ready to do the test. So you have the pre-licensing education, which varies by state, but is at least 20 hours. Uh, Utah's 15 hours on top of that. Nevada's 10 hours on top of that. Plus, some states will have requirements of residency or that you have a location in that state. It's commonly known as brick and mortar, where you physically have to either be there or have a branch or an office in that state to even loan in that state. Hmm. Arizona and Nevada are notorious for being very difficult to get the licensing because oversaturation, and they were number one states that had a lot of fraud issues in 2008. So they really, even Utah was kind of on the edge of that. They really cracked down on what it takes to even be licensed to do loans. Hmm. So here's a real caveat, a little customer service or customer, a PSA, the public service announcement. You can check that, P, that NMLS number. You can check and see what their record's been, if they've had issues, disciplinary actions, any kind of issues that maybe they had their license suspended. Maybe they don't have the license at all, and they're working as a processor or a loan officer assistant. You can still do that and not get the license, but you can't quote rates. You can't do disclosures. There's certain things you can't do as that. So you see a lot of loan officers that have these big teams where it's their number, but all their staff is doing all the other stuff. Right. They're getting in big, big trouble because the staff is doing more than what's actually allowed to be licensed. I mean, there's a lot to stay on top of, all the regulation, all the guideline changes. That's what you have to stay on top of as far as being a loan officer. Now, once you have your license, and we'll talk a little bit more about getting the license, every year you have to do continuing education to retain your license. So for me, being in the industry before this and after, I think it professionalizes it. It gets rid of the data, you know, the part-timers. This has really got to be something you're committing for your clients, for yourself, yeah. if you're going to get into the mortgage industry. It's not just something where, well, rates drop, open up your garage door on ABC Mortgage Company. Yeah. It is something where it's designed to try to make sure there's professionalism within the industry and that you are dealing with people's very sensitive information, credit scores, bank statements, pay stubs, W-2s. That's a lot of stuff you have to entrust to your loan officer. Well, and I mean, it sounds like a lot of these requirements are a lot like real estate agent mm -hmm. requirements. I mean, you've got the you've got your school between, say, 120-ish hours that when it's all said and done, you have to take your tests. And then um, same thing, background checks, all that type of stuff. Now, so we, we all talk, also are talking about a continuing education. So mm -hmm. each year you've got, uh, you call it just CE credits, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, um, typically it's eight hours plus whatever the state requires as well. So okay. the Fed, um, and of the eight hours, one has to be on ethics. So they actually mandate that we take yeah. a one-hour course every year that goes over ethics. And it's amazing how often the ethics classes are what people did wrong. Right. <laughs> They'll show, okay, this guy defrauded people by 
falsifying tax returns yeah. or uh, incomplete applications. And so I always use those case numbers and it's always kind of a joke in our industry. They're just telling us what, how to do things wrong, yeah. you know, just yeah. as much as they're telling us not to do it right. But that is one of the requirements within that. And there can be some electives that are done. And then the state will always have about an hour or sometimes two that they'll add to it that any state changes with regulation. Like we had a big one a few years ago was talking about like HOA changes where they were required to increase their reserve requirements in Utah and things like that. And every once in a while in Utah, we have the transfer tax thing pop up where like Nevada and some of the surrounding states have these taxes to transfer ownership. We don't have that yet in Utah. Every once in a while it pops back up. So it's something we have to, to review. Now, one thing I've noticed with uh, kind of a difference between realtors and real estate compared to uh, mortgage lenders mm-hmm. is that it seems like the rules change more often in mortgage lending. Yeah. And it seems like you guys have to stay up a little bit to date yeah. on, on all the different changes. I mean, with realtors, I mean, for us, our job is to help people buy and sell homes, right? Mm-hmm. And for the most part, that is pretty consistent. We, of course, we're going to have brokers who uh, who help when, when some of the legal things uh, happen when, and we go through changes there. But for the most part, our job is fairly consistent. Mm. With you guys, it seems like there's a lot of times where, say, a new law is, is brought in mm-hmm. and you guys completely have to have to change around your programs that you're offering to, to uh, be acceptable for the, for the new new laws that are put into place. So how much studying would you say you are, you are kind of committing to each week or each month outside of, say, your extra CE credits that you're doing. Oh, yeah, it's a constant thing to try to stay on top of it because mortgages tie into anti-money laundering rules and banking rules and savings and and CFPB, which is the protection bureau that is in charge of credit reports or in charge of those types of things. So they're always kind of moving and always trying to fix it. A lot of that happened in 08. I mean, 08 was a big, huge reform in the mortgage industry because of they felt that was a big reason for the crash. There's right. a, we can get into all the reasons why 2008 happened, why this isn't another 2008. I keep seeing videos that this isn't, we're heading for another 08, but it's just a different kind of atmosphere and a different type of market when it comes to that. But it is changing and it goes in waves. You'll have something, you know, nothing for a quarter, nothing for an administration even sometimes. And all of a sudden you've got a whole revamping of every form you've ever used. Right. We had a big change to our, here's some old school for the people that have been in the business for a while, the old 1003 which was called the ERLA, which is the Uniform Residential Loan Application. So we're in the industry. We're always changing abbreviations. We're always trying to change yeah. stuff. So the old schoolers like me, we call it a 1003. Now they now call it the ERLA. Hmm. And it, it, it's funny. We also have an abbreviation called TRID, which is two abbreviations smashed together. So we didn't have enough abbreviations that we said, well, we can't abbreviate this any further. We'll just smash two of them together. So it's, and it's so just things so like this, so, would you say this is kind of one of the more difficult things for newer yeah. uh, lenders to get involved with, to, to actually really know the, the the ins and outs of of, of all these different rules and, and abbreviations that you guys come up with? You know, it's, I think it's a catch-22. It depends on your personality, because I know some old schoolers, hey, whenever there's a change, you see retirement, you know, just say, I'm not going through a whole nother change with the yeah. 1003, with the TRID, with the closing disclosure, good at GFE, all the other abbreviations we come up with. And so many things are now going digital. There's a lot of things in the mortgage world where it comes to verification of employment's going digital, appraisals are going digital. So if you're not up to speed, just even with technology changes, if you're aging out of it a little bit, you may not want to go through that. But the new wave that's coming in is already kind of used to these technologies. It's more understanding the terminology than really having to relearn their their career, so to speak. So that's what makes the industry pretty engaging is how we're trying to solve this problem of helping people into home ownership, right. dealing with the market, dealing with the markets as far as what rates are going to be and what we can offer. It, 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 you have all these programs are all designed to fit some sort of niche. That's why there's pluses and minuses with every single loan program, whether it's FHA, conventional, that type of thing. So 
staying on top of guidelines is probably one thing. Regulation is a whole other animal. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a necessary part of the business. And that's why that continuing education is a once a year thing. It used to be every two years because it can change so frequently. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they don't have much to update. It's just going through re- the old laws. And other times it's a whole class on something that's changing. I mean, I remember one time it was a whole eight hour CE just on the changes of the of the of the 1003 or that application right. form. So let's go to one other slide here real quick. I think it's number four, I believe. We got Freddie Mac, our guy here. So after you get this the 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 pre-licensing education, now you actually have to pass a test. So they call it the safe test, the NMLS safe test. Again, those are two words, two abbreviations. Gotta love our industry. There's both federal questions in there, and then there'll be state-specific questions in there because there is regulatory bodies in most states that are also part of either the Division of Real Estate, Division of Commerce, depends on which state that you're in. Mm. And you have to get at least 75% of them right uh, to be able to pass. Got it. And then Got in it. Utah, there's another test called the PLM, which is very similar to the broker. Yeah. Uh, the idea that where you have to have a broker that's in charge of all the licensees. So that's what we'll talk about here is once you actually finally do the pre-licensing, get your pass your test, you then have to basically take your license and sponsor or park it with the company. So you don't have to take that, though, as a lender unless you want to become, say, in a, in a way, a broker of, of... Yeah, you don't have to do the PLM license unless you're owning your own company and you right. have licensees underneath you. You only need one of these. It's called a principal lending manager. So yeah. it's the same concept as a broker in a real estate shop. It's kind of somebody that just keeps an eye on everybody and the the stuff hits the fan, that's the next level of management that's supposed to be monitoring what's going on. Uh, Very similar. And that's what I think a lot of the mortgage stuff they regulated, they kind of modeled what real estate agents were always doing other than just changing requirements of hours and what we actually talk about. So there was always some systems in place that seemed to make sense to just map the real estate stuff on there. But that in Utah, we're one of the few states that have that principal lending manager that's in charge of it. So once you have your license after you get all the testing that license has to be sponsored or sponsored activated by a company, by a company. now yep. so let's talk about a little bit of that about that and i think it's actually on our next slide isn't it the, yeah the i believe so sponsorship. so yep. yeah so yep. yeah in real estate of course we've got tons of different brokerages that you could decide to join right mm-hmm. and it seems like is that the same way with lenders or is it a little bit more you've got just a couple options here or there no i think there's a lot of a lot of us are commissioned but we're w2 so when a employer like patriot the company i work for they still have to do some screening they have their own internal stuff to make sure that you're not just taking on somebody yeah. that's not going to bring any business into the table and there's different compensation structures based on your experience or the type of loans that you bring into the table because there's a lot i mean specializing in all of them could be really difficult so you do see people kind of gravitate more towards maybe construction loans. Maybe yeah. they deal with builders and just like that type of business. Then you have people that really like the reverse mortgage. So you don't see too often where a loan officer is trying to do all of those Everything because they wants, are yeah. little different nuances, yeah. time frames, pay schedules are a little different, whether on a construction loan than a, than a forward loan. And, and some even gravitate towards just the bank or credit union. Yeah. Uh, but then you'll see even the company has to have that same uh, license number. And one little trick you can see, too, is the longer the number, the more recently it was issued. So you, if you hmm. see a short NMLS number, that's typically one that's been active been for longer. For a while. So that's also kind of a way to be able to screen yeah. it. So we actually had a contest at the National Association of Mortgage Brokers. And we were doing like business cards and they were giving like a prize away and they couldn't figure out how do we give away this prize. I said, well, just go to whoever has the shortest NMLS number. Yeah. 
And it was like, okay, I got, you know, 2294, you know, whatever it was. And we found one that was only four digits. I, oh, I haven't wow. seen one that's only four. Usually it's about six. That's yeah. the most common. But now so you're getting them. start like at one long. and just keeps going. No, up? I think it started at four digits. So okay. when you get in the four digits, you've been around, you've been around even before that licensing was required because yeah. that licensing system was starting to get in place before 08. Then the government was like, how do we fix this? How do we fix all these loan officers and all these problems? How do we try? We don't even know who's doing loans out there. Mm. The national this the system raised their hand and said, "Hey, we're already starting to work on a database. How about we take it over for you?" And that's yeah. kind of how they ended up taking over that licensing system. So, I think a question that maybe a consumer might have, and and even realtors like myself might have, is, okay, so let's say somebody out goes out, they buy a house for three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and the loan is three hundred grand, right? So, it, you working with Patriot uh, with Patriot? Is it actually Patriot who has that three hundred thousand dollars they're loaning, or is that going? coming in from somewhere else. How does that work? Yeah, and that's where you get into the terminology of what's a mortgage correspondent lender, a broker. So the funding source is who actually funds it. So when you're a broker, you're not funding that loan typically in your name. You just know which lender will do that that program right. or what's who's going to offer the best rate. So that's where the broker is more of a shopper, a middleman between you and the banks. Yeah. But because they can do more volume than you can, they can get you better deals than if you just walk into Chase Bank or Wells Fargo. Because you're bringing your one loan, they can bring 10 or 20 or 30 or a lot more business. So they'll have these wholesale channels to get access to those funds at lower rates. Okay. So a traditional or really a mortgage broker doesn't loan the money. What you're seeing is there's so many new laws on mortgage brokers, and there's more money that can be made in that exchange. You're seeing more companies coming up with warehouse lines to fund the loan in their name, package it up with 10 of them, and then sell the bulk of that to Penny Mac or Fannie Mae or Mr. Cooper or all the other ones that are out there. So we're, we, this is typically called a correspondent lender. It's kind of a mini version of these other the banks are out there, but they will fund the loan in their name. So. No, that, that that makes sense, and I mean, I think you, you I, I see a lot of uh, a loan comes out, and they say, "Oh, the lo- your loan was just sold over to this right. company, or you moved over." And so Even on. with these mini correspondents, it's sold usually very quickly. Yeah. Now, with like Utah Housing's a really good loan; they service all of it, so they they just we we underwrite and kind of help them with the underwriting, and then the loan goes right to them right off the bat. Okay. So a lot of them are sold very, very quickly. In fact, sometimes they're sold even before the note's even totally done. Hmm. But there's a lot of uh, leniency. There's a lot more control when you can say yes to the loan, and then you can package it with five other ones and sell that block of business to Chase or to yeah. whatever it is. So that's how long, and that's really a good thing because that keeps money moving. That helps to keep rates down. I know rates are up, but that helps to keep rates down by spreading the risk around 10 files instead of one. Right. And you're able to kind of package up a billion dollars worth of mortgages instead of 500,000. So it, it's just the way kind of the difference between wholesale and retail works, even in the mortgage business. Yeah. Works yeah. in cars, works in paper. It works everywhere where the more you can have that volume or a bulk of, or, you know, book of business that's going, you get better rates and terms. So part of my job is to find out, okay, do we keep it in house with those programs that are available or yeah. is it some little outside the box that needs more of a broker channel that does stuff that maybe is stated income or non-owner occupied or worse credit or and that's part of my job and that's why I love the business is that problem solving aspect. The client comes in with a need. They very seldom fit in every box created. Right. Right. They're just outside one of these two boxes. So you need to know which lender is going to say yes to that client and which ones are going to say no. And it's not always the best rate that is the loan you're going to get because of whatever that circumstance is. Got it. Now, uh, was there another slide that we had on here or did was that oh, last yeah. one? So you've done all this. You've got your licensing. You've got your 
testing, you haven't committed a felony or you know, anything that would keep you from getting your license. The next thing is obviously this is still a sales business. There's going to be training on, on how to sell mortgages or how to sell what it is. And there's guidelines you have to learn. And the one thing that I think is a really important thing is learning your loan officer, um, your loan officer software, which is your origination software. This is going to help you to create the application and create it correctly where it has the best chance of getting an approval. Hmm. That's why I think AI is probably not going to completely take over our businesses. It still needs that personal touch. There still needs to be something where I say, okay, by checking that box, the computer's going to say, oh, you checked the box, you're declined. It's like, yeah. no, that was an error. Yeah. That was a missing, you know, that was something where you said, I, I see it happen a lot where people say, well, I'm co-signed on a loan. Well, they're co-signed with their wife. The wife's on the application. They're really not co-signed. They're both on the application. But if they check that box and an AI system gets it, they're going to say, oh, no, you don't You don't get approved. Yeah, so, there's so many unique situations right. in these loans. I mean, it's it, it'd be impossible to... Uh, to just have a checkbox for every single unique situation right. there. It's yeah. getting more and more automated. I'm not going to say that it's the the AI wave is not coming to even our industry. Yeah. And the appraisals and and just the way the applications all of it's digital and then you got all this uh, blockchain that's starting to come out that might even start dipping into what the title companies need because now there'll be a blockchain even the title report on the mm. property. So that technology is coming quicker and quicker. But it's still going to always need a personal touch. And yeah. I can't tell you how many times people will start a digital application and they'll stop. Where yeah. if I'm on the phone with them, we're just going through and I know where to put the questions and I know where what questions to ask and where that would go on the form, the application completion rate goes way up. Mm. I can't tell you how many times people will stop because they don't know something or don't know if they need it or don't want to say the wrong thing. So they just kind of shut off the app or shut off the the you know the website or whatever yeah. that they're applying. Yeah. Where if I'm just talking to them, I can get enough information to make it work. One of the big advancements we're seeing is a lot more soft pulling on credit, which I think is great. It allows us to get more of a complete answer for clients without having to go f- through a full-blown application. Because yeah, yeah. a lot it, of people want to do it because of that, right? Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how how a mortgage lender gets paid, okay. right? Um, I know with real estate agents, okay, we sell a house for five hundred thousand dollars. We might get between two to three percent, and then part of that's going to go to our broker. Part of that's going to go to us. So with uh, you said you're a W two employee, right, right? Which is actually different than than right. realtors. Realtors were 1099 contractors. We so. were 1099 forever. 08. That was one thing they said you can't work for multiple companies. Yeah. As soon as you can't do that, you can't qualify for 1099. You have to be W two by mm-hmm. law. Now you guys have the same thing where you have to park your license, but you got around it because of the tax your lobby groups and way before all that was happening, they just kind of allowed yeah. you an exemption of that. They didn't do that with the mortgage industry. So now that you have to work for one company, you have to be W two just by the IRS laws. Right. But it is something where we are contracted to make a certain percentage of the loan amount. Okay. Not, not the program. Not the purchase price. Not the purchase price. Not if we sell an arm or one of the things I want to get rid of in 2008 is there's a lot of incentive to sell these other loans. Yeah. Like they might qualify for an FHA, but I make more money selling a subprime loan. And that is human nature to say, well, it's the same amount of work, same client, maybe same rate. You know, yeah. it doesn't change the rate, but I get paid more over here. I'm going to go over here. Yeah. It could almost be steering in a way. Yep. Yep. So they want to get rid of the steering by saying, okay, you make a percentage and that's based on what you work with your company of each loan amount. That's it. Regardless of if it's a... Uh, FHA, conventional, subprime, whatever the loan is, doesn't matter. It's the loan amount that we get based our our percentages on. Got it. And it's a contract you have with Patriot. They have to pay you that amount regardless of what program you sell, regardless of what rate you sell, regardless of whatever. So there is this balance to make sure that, let's say one file, you have to just completely give it away for whatever reason. You have to make it up on the, the next files to make sure that you're averaging a certain charge across your borrowers. <clears throat> so it is something where... 
It's not based on sales price. It's not based on me saying, hey, we have an incentive this month to sell a 5-1 arm, like yeah. an adjustable rate mortgage. Yeah. They got rid of all of that. So what we're seeing in our, but at the same time, I don't make more. If a client takes six months or a year to do a loan, I don't make anything more than if it takes two days. Hmm. So it has standardized and kind of lessened the curve, but I make that same amount regardless of the loan program. So there's no incentive for me to sell a different loan. I sell whatever the client needs. Right. That's what it, it doesn't matter. And, and that's important because it, unfortunately we're, we're definitely in, in a world right now that people are, are going to be caring a little bit more about what, what say a lender would be getting out of it rather than what the client is going to get out of it. So it's good that you guys have rules like that to, to say you uh, you can't steer them in a certain direction just because you're going to be getting yep. paid more. I think and reverse is one that has a little exception to that because it's a different type of loan when it comes to reverse. Yeah. And, and construction has, but it, everything's the same. It's not like I charge more for the 700 borrower or the right. 600 or the 500 or the Hispanic or the Asian. None of that is factored in at all. So I think it has made it a little bit more consistent. And we really offer the best loan for the client. Yeah. Yeah. Not the best loan for the company or the loan officer. Well, good. I mean, th- hopefully this helps people realize a little bit about what exactly it takes to become a, uh, a mortgage lender. And yeah. and, and there's there's a, a process to it, of course, if you'd like, give Ryan a call and he can kind of walk you through a little bit of it. He'd be a great mentor for you, of course, as well. Yeah. Through it. He's been doing this a long time and uh, he's trusted throughout the whole town. So uh, we'll see you again next time. <laughs> well, I've next been doing time. this for a long time and I've got to be doing something right if I'm still around. So That's right. You are. You've been, you've been here a bit. So see you next time. Next time we might talk about same thing with realtors. Yeah, I'd love to. I think that'd be good. What it takes. A lot of people think you can, same thing. That's a lot easier to become a real estate agent than it is. So that's right. Yeah. Thanks so much. <laughs> this has been the Clear to Close podcast with Ryan Bolton and Carson Jones. Please submit your comments, questions, and topics for future episodes to clear to close pod at gmail.com. That's clear the number two, close pod at gmail.com. Or find my home utah.com or ryanbolton.com. Please like, follow, and share. And until next time, this is the Clear to Close Podcast. Views expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Patriot Home Mortgage or Team Honey with Red Rock Real Estate. License number NMLS 299717. This has been a production from a podcast studio.